Today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we recap the weekend. Have you ever had more fun watching the Hornets play basketball? I don't know if I have. We'll talk about it all from the Knicks game and the Detroit Pistons game, as well as the schedule upcoming and this. I mean, you kind of just, again, like, like all of life, we have to learn how to deal with what comes to us. We have to learn to accept. We have to get zen about it. I think you got to get zen about Nick Batu. Philosophical, dog. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. We live. <laughs> I can't remember a time where I had that much fun over the course of a weekend watching a couple of Hornets games to have that much fun, which has been a theme of the season. We were supposed to come into this season being a horrible basketball team. Doug, I know that you were the only one out there that was saying that this would not be the worst basketball team. You haven't reminded us a whole lot, so I thought I might remind everyone (laughs) because you've generally been pretty quiet about it. But we were supposed to be a really, really bad basketball team, and they're one game below 500 after the weekend. We've had a lot of fun games. I I was saying this today on the wake-up call. Not how easy, but how entertaining has... Fokey's calls been because he's got a highlight reel with the games that he's had to call this year. You can go to the Chicago Bulls game that went down to the wire, go to the Indiana Pacers game that goes down to the wire. You got a couple more for the highlight reel this weekend. I, I've just had a blast watching this Hornets team, and I think most fans would say the same thing. One game below 500, Malik Monk buzzer beater, here for it. Devontae Graham, moonshot, here for it. It was awesome, and I had a blast watching the Hornets this weekend, just like I have really all season long. Foki developing a little bit of a, a catchphrase, the oh my. He's just got, oh a, my, sig- huh? he's got a signature oh my. I like it. It's cl- it feels classic. It feels tight. It gets me It gets me jacked up. I mean, I like it. I like it there out of Foki. But yeah, man, this team's fun. And we kind of had a suspicion that this team would be a little fun because they were going to play the young guys. There are some exciting young players. Neither of us had any idea that we were going to get this out of Devontae Graham. And he has been... He's taken fun to a whole other level for this team because he's an, he's an actual like impact player. And, and I know Rick Bennell, we'll talk to him tomorrow. He's writing about Devontae Graham possibly being a star in this league. He's certainly, I mean, just statistically, we, we were asking the question before the season, where will the Hornets look to replace the offense, not only of Kimba Walker, but of Jeremy Lamb? And Devontae Graham has so far answered the question about where will Kimba Walker's offense go because, you know, right now he sits, I think, third in three-pointers made right behind Kimba Walker, and, and he's just been fantastic. It's been fun to watch. This is Locked On Hornets presented by the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. We want to give a quick shout-out to Liam for becoming a $5 patron on our Patreon page. Locked On Hornets or Patreon dot com slash LOH is where you can join that. You can become a $1 patron, $3 patron, or $5 patron, just like Liam did. So we really do appreciate all the support from all of you here at Lockdown Hornets. Let's break this down. Segment one, let's talk about the Detroit Pistons game. Segment two, let's go into the New York Knicks game. And then we can just kind of look at the schedule ahead. Didn't realize that there was a four-game road trip 
for the Hornets started on Saturday, second night of a back-to-back. They're actually able to get that win started on Saturday against the Knicks. They're going to play the uh, Toronto Raptors here tonight, and then they have a couple more road games. So we'll talk a little bit more about the future schedule in the last segment today. Uh, Going to Detroit, first off, JB, kind of a cool guy as far as his demeanor. Players seem to like him, right? Kind of a funnier guy, Steve Clifford, more intense. That's something that Marvin Williams has mentioned before, the difference in Steve Clifford and JB. JB got a tech against Detroit. How shocked were you to see JB get so angry, get angry enough to get a technical foul? I haven't seen that a whole lot from him. Yeah, it came uh, in the third quarter when the Hornets were making uh, their run that would ultimately win them the game uh, about eight minutes left in the third quarter and they called just an absolutely awful offensive foul on Bridges one of the worst calls I've seen actually the two worst calls I've seen on the Hornets this season have both been on on Bridges and that was one of them and JB just had had enough and he gets teed up and this you know they came out of the locker room uh, they were down 65-51 going into the half and they just came out with immense defensive energy, huge ball pressure, essentially across the board. You had Miles uh, chase down block, Rozier, great ball pressure. Graham had a poke away turnover. This is a team in the Hornets that turned the ball over a lot, but they also turned the other team over. You've seen Graham, Rozier, Miles, PJ gets get some nice blocks. I mean, they don't they don't allow easy buckets all the time. I mean, they can get physical. They just haven't been able to maintain it consistently. Uh, they go on an 11-2 to two run to open up that third quarter. And, and I think JB just matching his team's energy, just saying, look, if you guys are going to go out and give that, I'll give that. I'll stand up with you. If you fight, I'll fight. And I like it. Yeah, that third quarter was the difference in this game because they did not play well in the first half. No, the Hornets are fun because they keep coming back. Like the Hornets are fun (laughs) because they stink to open up a game. I I think they lost all four quarters against the Knicks. We'll talk about that game in a minute, but they lost like the first four minutes of all four quarters. They were down like 9-0 runs. We've seen 8-2 runs, 12-0 runs to start quarters. Like this team is fun because they don't give up. They're not necessarily fun because they just come into the game ready. They, they really never come into the game ready to play. They just sort of find it every game. Let's get to the story of the game. It was Malik Monk. Even before that last shot, even if you take away the most exciting shot of the season because it's a buzzer beater, but also just that game, Malik Monk finishes, if you get rid of that shot, he finishes 7 of 11 with just one assist, but also 16 points. Instead, he finishes with 19 because of the shot. A couple three-pointers of the four that he took and ended up with four rebounds to boot. Only a couple turnovers, so took care of the ball pretty decently well, considering that he touched it a pretty decent amount for 22 minutes. Malik Monk, man, like, look, the New York game, it wasn't he wasn't great against New York, but I thought he was solid. He's finishing in the paint, Doug. It's remarkable how many shots that he's hitting in the paint. I... Is it too early to say that Malik is starting to figure it out? I mean, because it, it seems like he is to me. I feel like if you're a Malik Monk fan, such as such as I am, I'm I'm feeling very good about the way Malik Monk is playing. Like in even the games that aren't all that great, like to me, the game against New York, hell, I'll take that. Like if if that's going to be a game that I don't consider to be great for Malik, then that already means he's a better player, and I'm feeling very confident in what he can bring this team this season. 
He's certainly starting to figure things out offensively. I mean, he's been he's been attacking the rim for the past couple of games, and he, he did it effectively against Memphis as well. What you what I really liked about this game against Detroit was that he had some early success in the first quarter. He comes off the bench with Cody Martin, provides the team a little bit of a boost after again they they start the game in a twenty two to nine hole against Detroit. Uh, Monk helps them. Um, but then in the second quarter, he picked up two straight offensive fouls, consecutive plays, two offensive fouls from Malik Monk, charging in transition and and not really in control. And it seemed like the Pistons had adapted to what he was trying to get offensively. And then you saw in the second half, he come out, he came out and played a lot smarter, uh, was not just driving with reckless abandon, instead pulling up, knocking down shots. And we've seen him, his three-point shot confidence seems to be coming back it's, slowly yeah, but surely there, it's yeah. almost there right. so yeah I mean you're seeing evolution you're seeing things change from Malik Monk especially on the offensive end there are obviously still questions on the defensive end not going to worry about that this season really I like what I've seen out of Malik Monk Doug you mentioned Cody Martin in there I'll go to him now how about Cody Martin not being as scared offensively, right? Like, I think Cody is starting to find a little bit of a rhythm. I think he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable on the offensive end. It doesn't mean that he's good. I wouldn't go to say that. But five assists, no turnovers for Cody Martin, a couple of made field goals, felt comfortable enough to take six. The three-point shot's not there. Maybe he can knock down one every once in a while. Certainly not a good shooter, but... I just like that you're seeing Cody Martin be a little bit more comfortable on the offensive end where I remember us talking, maybe it was a week ago or two weeks ago where the dude just flat out did not want the basketball in his hands. There was open shots that he could have taken and he decides to pass it to somebody else, even in a worse shot. Uh, It was someone that just seemed like he wanted to go into fetal position with the basketball when he touched it. And now it doesn't seem like that's the case anymore. Again, five assists to zero turnovers. And we know about the defense. I thought it was pretty good against Detroit. It just seems like Cody's starting to figure things out a little bit as well. Well, both Martin and Monk, again, are benefiting from the fact that the Hornets starting unit, and it's changed a little bit. Uh, It's gone from putrid to not so putrid since Dwayne Bacon has been out and they've they've plugged in uh, Devontae Graham. But the starting unit is still struggling and they still struggle to open quarters. And so you have guys like Cody Martin and Malik Monk who have an opportunity to come in and change the narrative of the game, and so far they've done that. And I thought they were uh, – Malik Monk was huge in this game because it's not like you got an efficient performance from Devontae Graham. He made eight field goals, but he took 23 of them, two of 12 from beyond the arc. So just not a good we, – we see these from Devontae. He'll just have a real stinker of a night where he can't make, a, can't make a shot from outside. We've seen that a couple times. Detroit was one of those games. Terry Rozier I didn't think was great. You know, eight of 18, but only two assists. Oh, only one turnover, I guess. But I, Terry Rozier, I guess, was fine, but not not the greatest. Um, Miles Bridges, three of six. P.J. Washington, four of seven. Cody Zeller, four of nine. Not the greatest weekend for Miles Bridges, but anything else you wanted to comment on from the players in the starting lineup, Doug, that you thought might be particularly interesting? Well, I think Cody Zeller was really physical in this game, and, and I, you know, obviously he had to be. He was going up against Andre Drummond. He got beat early on uh, by Drummond, and they had to sub in Bismack Biombo. Uh, but I think he comes in late. I think I think Cody Zeller, I can't confirm this. This is reckless speculation that I'm about to put on you right now. Oh, no. Cody Zeller takes a lot of abuse. We know that. But I also feel like that among players, he might have like a sneak reputation in this league for being a little dirty. There's just sometimes 
when he throws some players to a, to the ground or does some just again just little small things where you go, man, that was that might have been a little too physical. He had the whack on the head on Dylan Brooks against Memphis, and then I can't remember who he pulled down in this game. I believe it was Bruce Brown, maybe that he grabbed by the arm and took down, and it was a little just a little wrestling takedown. I just think Cody Zeller might have like a sneak rep. It's not something that's going to be publicized. Nobody's going to know it in the in the media. It's just I feel like players they know when they come and they play against Cody late in the game, it could get a little it could get a little physical. That seems to fit the tall white guy stereotype. That you're a dirty player in this league and that's how you have to make your money. If you're tall and white, Kelly Olynyk comes to mind. Maybe an Aaron Baines, a little bit physical, right? <laughs> like that kind of fits that stereotype with Cody Zeller. Maybe that's where we're getting it. But yeah, he's definitely physical. There's no doubt about it. Somebody that constantly gets hurt himself. You also had some, you thought the comments from James Borrego were interesting, Doug, where he commented on the last play of the game, Malik Monk shot it, and apparently Malik Monk won the damn ball. Yeah, I mean, look, uh, Graham has been the shot taker and the shot maker for this team, but on the last play, it goes to Malik Monk. He pulls up over Andre Drummond. I mean, of, of anyone to pull up over, he pulls up over Andre Drummond. He was falling away, quick shot, didn't have much time to get it off, and Malik Monk drains it. It's a hero shot. It's it's what I talk about a lot in terms of it being a narrative shot. Sometimes you need those kind of plays to go in in order to set the narrative for you for the rest of the season and to give to give you confidence, to give the coaching staff confidence in you and give fans confidence in you. And that's exactly the kind of shot that Malik Monk hit there. It's one that I've been looking for from Nick Batum for years, and he just wasn't able to deliver that kind of shot. Nick Batum does. And then after the game, uh, Coach Borrego was asked about it. I'm going to read uh, most of this quote because it's just really good. They asked him about uh, who decided to give Malik Monk the last shot there. And he says, you can ask Malik Monk. That play was for Monk. We had to get it off quick. I was a little worried about that play, but I thought he was the one guy that could because he gets it off pretty quick. They made a defensive read. Drummond was out there, so it's a heck of a shot. But Malik's one of those guys that can make that shot. He's done it before in his career. He just needs a coach that can put the ball in his hands, I guess. Uh, so <laughs> that's an interesting last part of that quote. So he just needs a coach that can put the ball in his hands, I guess. I didn't get to see the video because it's not up on the website and I haven't heard any audio of it. So I don't know if that was him being like sort of one of those things where you're self-depreciating and you say, yeah, it was all me. <laughs> but really it was Malik Monk hitting an amazing shot. Or was he being serious and saying, listen, you know, to make Malik Monk successful, you have to put the ball in his hands, and I'm the coach that did that, and there may have been some other coaches that decided not to do that. I don't know what his – again, I, without seeing the video, I'm not sure what that quote is, but that's there are some possibilities there. That was the reckless speculation segment of the Lockdown Hornets podcast brought Just to you interesting by quote. We've got the New York Knicks segment coming up next. Stick around with us here on the Lockdown Podcast Network. This is Locked on Hornets. They're running their rookies to Greensboro. They're driving them to Greensboro and then driving them back the same day to play in an NBA game. I cannot (laughs) wait until the Hornets load manage. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Dwayne Bacon did not play against the Detroit Pistons, but on his defense, he was not active for that game. He was active for the New York Knicks game. It's a good defense. And Dwayne Bacon did not play. Don't know how, maybe it's the injury here. I thought it was interesting enough 
Dwayne Bacon, active, younger player, thought maybe he would get thrown in. Nick Batum was also active for the Knicks game. He played, and he played quite a bit. And Doug, I thought he played well. Sticking with Dwayne Bacon for just the moment, though, how worried would you be that Dwayne Bacon did not play despite him being an active member of the roster? I think you've heard comments from the coaching staff that indicate that they are being very careful with this ankle injury of Dwayne Bacon's sore ankle. He has been listed probable for the last couple of games, and yet he has not played. And so that would tell me they are being careful. This is something that Dwayne Bacon's never experienced before. And it's one of those situations where you tweak the ankle, and then if you get out there and you play too soon, you end up really hurting the ankle, and then you're done for the year. And, you know... Dwayne has not had a great start to the year. So the last thing you want is for him to lose a significant portion of the season. So I wouldn't read too much into it. Now, if he doesn't play for the rest of this road trip, then yeah, obviously you have to start asking the question, has he been uh, supplanted not only in the starting lineup, but also in the entire rotation with Nick Batum's play? It probably was pretty ridiculous to be so scared about the start Nick Batum had to the season to where you didn't want to see him out there on the court. (laughs) I had pretty, almost pretty small sample that, size. Yeah. Yeah. A minuscule sample size. I realized that I realized it at the time I tried to warn myself. I tried to talk myself out of being so scared of Nick Batum getting some run, but he was good in this game. And here's the way in which he was good. Doug, there are going to be people that still hate Nick Batum. There are going to be people that hate his contract. We even talked about some of the comments that Nick had on his contract, right? We know that it is the elephant in the room and we acknowledge it. We hate it. Nick Batum is also not going to score the basketball. We have to accept that. We saw Nick Batum last year where we were desperate for him to score because the Hornets probably needed it to make the postseason and to go to a different level. We all wanted him to score, and he just wouldn't. There would be times where he would go to the corner and just neglect the offense altogether. Nick Batum, I think, is going to be pretty good for this team because It's someone that's not going to take shot attempts away from the young guys who I want to be taking all of the shots. He's going to facilitate at a decent level. He had six assists in this game against the New York Knicks. He had nine rebounds. I thought he defended well. I think a smart defender can only help the team, can only improve the team as well as teach the team something if they're so young, right? I think Nick Batum probably will be pretty good with the player that you just have with the caveat, I should say that you just have to accept him for what he is. The contract is really bad. You can ask a lot more from him with a team that is supposed to make the postseason. The criticism is well-deserved. I hope that he would tell you that, but here, if he's just going to give you about five points a game, seven, but he's going to give you five assists a game, going to rebound maybe at six or seven, something like that, and just play good defense. I'm cool with the young guys taking the shots. And Nick Batum gave me what I would call a good game, Nick Batum-wise, here in this game against the Knicks. Yeah, I mean, the Hornets have not been a good rebounding team this year. So that's why when we were discussing, well, Nick Batum's getting healthy. How much will he play? Will he play? Is he going to completely be out of the rotation? And I just thought that was ridiculous because – Nick Batum is is a lot of things, and he's not a lot of things. But one thing that I know he is is a good rebounder. He's a good rebounding small forward, guard, whatever you want to call him, and and they need that. And they also need players that can move the ball without turning it over. That hasn't always been a strength of Nick Batum, but he had six assists in this one. He only turned it over twice. And, yeah, if you, if you deal with the fact that he's not going to be a scorer, you'd like to see him hit 
two or three shots a game because he probably will be open, especially in transition. Monk, if he plays with Monk, if he plays with Graham, those guys are drawing a lot of attention right now, especially in transition. So I think Batum will have open shots. Uh, how much he hits them, I think, will determine how well this bench unit plays. But he's, yeah, right now he's exactly the piece that the Hornets need because Graham is playing so well, because Rozier's playing okay, because Malik Monk is playing so well right now, and honestly, because Marvin Williams is knocking down shots. I mean, he's been fantastic to close these games. So you don't necessarily need high-scoring Nick Batum to win basketball games. Yeah, I completely agree with you. I think Nick Batum, and remember, he was efficient last year. The usage was way down, but he actually was efficient last year. So give me low usage, facilitating the basketball, making smart plays, efficient Nick Batum. And he certainly seems okay to do that. I mean, that's the thing. He seems comfortable doing what it is he's doing right now. So, I mean, you kind of just, again, like, like all of life, we have to learn how to deal with what comes to us. We have to learn to accept. We have to get zen about it. I think you got to get zen about Nick Batum. Philosophical, Doug, breaking down the Hornets. I thought the two best players in this game were Devontae Graham and P.J. Washington. Devontae Graham's the story. 10 of 19 from the field, 9 of 16 from three-point range. Devontae is going to let it fly, and why not with the percentage he's hitting him from, uh, hitting him at? 29 points for him. Just an incredible game for Devontae. And, of course, we got yet another end-of-the-game shot. It wasn't a buzzer beater, but it was the go-ahead shot. I think, what, like 1.7 seconds left for Julius Randle to go to work, something like that. Uh, And Randle, by the way, was killing the Hornets. And they did a good job on that last possession playing defense. I don't even know if that shot would have counted had Randall been able to hit it. I don't think he got it off in time. Devontae Graham, though, at the end of that game and just the way he played overall, I thought he was very good. Randall was killing the Hornets. Uh, Mitchell Robinson was a problem all game. Even when he got hurt, he got like hurt. He hurt his ankle, fell to the floor, yes, got up. Ran was on a dunk, right? <laughs> yeah, the Hornets had a power play. They had five defensive players on four Knicks players. And then the fourth and a half player, Mitchell Robinson, hobbling, sets a pick, rolls to the rim. The slowest pick and roll that I've ever seen Mitchell Robinson gets the dunk. It's, it was just crazy to me. Uh, the Hornets' defense just really uh, mucking it up at the end, but somehow coming away with the victory because this was just uh, a couple of teams that got hot at the end of the game. This was an ugly basketball game. This was Two teams were playing zone. <laughs> it looked like a college basketball game. Nobody was, was making bad. shots for the first three quarters. It was not a fun game to watch. And then in that fourth quarter, they saved it all. Uh, yeah, Randall played well for the Knicks. Uh, R.J. Barrett was a matchup nightmare for the Hornets in this game. They were trying to throw any player that could try to guard R.J. Barrett, and he was great. Um, but, you know, you got Devontae Graham running a very similar play to what they ran in overtime against Indiana where they put Devontae Gra- they put most everyone um, near the basket, except for Devontae Graham, who have, they have way in the backcourt uh, across the midcourt line, And then I described it was like the XFL. They had that rule where the wide receiver could get a huge head start. And that's exactly what happens. Uh, Graham runs up against Indiana. It was Bismack Biombo. In this game, it was P.J. Washington delivering a a perfect bounce pass to get Graham going in stride. He's already quick. But when you get him going, I mean, it's just impossible to guard. Frank Nielakina had no idea what to do. And Graham pulls up. And to his credit, again, narrative shot. Knocking it down, you end up on national television and people start to talk about you as most improved player, and you deserve it. 
using the word fun a lot that? to describe this team. How fun was it to see RJ Barrett and PJ Washington have a little mini rookie battle in the fourth quarter? That was fantastic. And all of them were big shot. Yeah. Uh, and, both and, of those and, guys and PJ got the defensive stop on Randall. And I've criticized his face up mm-hmm. defense all season. I've said, look, interior defense, he's good. But when he has to use his feet, when when guys face him up, he's been taken off the dribble. But people have been able to kind of get him to take a step back and get, get some space and put the shot up against Randall. PJ Washington, perfect defense, gets the stop that the Hornets needed. Yeah, and James Borrego once again decides to go with hot hands. Decides to go with what he thinks is working. Miles Bridges only fifteen minutes in this game. Oh boy! And in that fifteen Miserable minutes, game. oh of eight, man. <laughs> I mean, oh of five from three point range. Oh of eight entirely. I had a negative 17 plus minus, you know, and of course we understand plus minus, not exactly the stat that is indicative of how a player truly plays yet. Okay. Minus 17 for miles bridges in this game. When he was out on the floor, they weren't playing well and only plays 15 minutes in this one. Nick Batum gets 29 Malik gets 26 Marvin gets 24 off of the bench and everybody else gets way a decent amount of minutes except for miles who Again, only 15, not nearly what he had been accustomed to. One more thing on Nick Batum. Uh, They were running this play over and over in this game where Nick Batum was throwing over the top to P.J. Washington. That's huge uh, because they want to get P.J. more paint touches. They want to take advantage of what he gives you down there. And it's great to have a tall ball handler and somebody that can pass over the top like that. Devontae Graham, because of his height, really, Rozier, too, is a little short. They're just not going to have the same angle to get that pass over the top to P.J. Washington. It's most likely going to be a turnover. That's why they don't attempt it. And so you get Batum in there. He can hit that pass and and nailed it. And P.J. Washington, Washington got a few buckets on that. He was 7 of 9 from the field, 19 points, 5 rebounds, 3 assists. I think Graham and Batum combined can make P.J. Washington into a star because Devontae Graham's going to get him looks at, at the three-point line and Batum's going to get him looks in the post. Real quickly to give love to one more veteran. You mentioned it a little bit. Marvin Williams clutch again. I feel like Marvin hits shots to get them out of dry spells or help them set up a game winner. That's old man, what Marvin yeah, the Williams old man dunk team. at the end of the game. I thought, yeah, that's right. I mean, I didn't think he was going to make it. It looked like Homer Simpson trying to fly over the canyon. I was like, oh God, is he going to make it? <laughs> is that Snake River Canyon? Is that what he jumped over? Uh, or was it, the, was it something gorge or something like that? Um, yeah, Marvin Williams. I think it was the first dunk of the year, and Eric Collins liked it. I think he got excited for it. But yeah, Marvin Williams certainly didn't get up like he usually does. Like we usually have one Marvin slam a year. We might not get that anymore. But Marvin hits the go ahead. Like he hits the shots to set up game winners, or he hits them to get us out of dry spells. Use your basketball knowledge to prove you have what it takes at mybookie.ag, where they make it easy to play and even easier to get paid. Use promo code locked on NBA, and mybookie will match 50% of your first deposit. Listening on the go, if you can't visit mybookie right now, you can find this and all other offers from locked on sponsors at lockedonpodcast.com slash offers. Again, that's lockedonpodcast.com slash offers more on the hornet schedule up next this is locked on hornets but give me some positives as that would annoy me as a head coach i'd be like look you you can't lose the bulls by 20 and come away and go well you know let's look for some silver linings silver lining game over next game it's time for more of the locked on hornets podcast 
Hornets have the Toronto Raptors tonight, another road game. There was a four-game road trip that they had, again, starting against the New York Knicks on Saturday. So it'll be the Raptors tonight. Uh, I'm trying to pull up the schedule here real quickly to see who else they have. It's going to be at Brooklyn on Wednesday, at Washington on Friday, until they come back home and play the Chicago Bulls the second night of a back-to-back, but at least they get to play it at the Spectrum Center. Actually, a lot of road games uh, in the month of November for the rest of the month. Um you know, going against Toronto, uh, the defending NBA champion, it's going to be interesting to see them go up against a Pascal Siakam and some of the other players that were holdovers. But Doug, I know you had one other thing you wanted to get to real quickly with the New York Knicks game that you observed. Yeah, this is a this is a fun thing, a lineup that they had in this game. So the Hornet, this was after that Mitchell Robinson play that I mentioned where he got the dunk on the busted ankle. Uh, they, they throw out Rozier, Graham, Batum, Marvin Williams, and P.J. Washington they were down 88 to 80 at this point, and uh, that little that lineup uh, went on a 7-0 run to get them to pull them within one. And I just thought, like Rozier, Graham Batum, Marvin PJ, if you were trying to make the playoffs, like if you wanted an eight or seven seed for, out of the Hornets, that would not be the worst lineup to start a game with. Oh, no, I don't. I don't think anyone wants that. I, and I'm not saying I want that. I don't <laughs> think anyone wants that. They, you know, people are still. You know, we can get excited about this team and understand that they're going to go up against Toronto and most likely get smacked in the head. And they, they've had a lot of injury luck. They've had a lot of offensive luck. They've done a lot of bad things that normally result in double digit losses. They've been down double digits in all 13 games at some point and they just keep rallying back eventually that has to catch up with you but I just thought that that lineup was really interesting and I thought man if you were it's not as if this team would be incapable of challenging Mm -hmm. for an eight seed but it's clearly not the priority I thought Sam Purley put out a pretty good tweet today Uh, you retweeted it Doug Fred Van Vliet and Devontae Graham's numbers look very similar You look at them shooting above 40% from three, both averaging 18 points per game, both averaging a little more than seven assists per game. Fred Van Vliet was getting serious six-man-of-the-year award contention, I think, last year. I think there was a lot Mm -hmm. of people that thought he might just get it. Um, And now we're talking about Devontae Graham possibly winning most improved player. Do you have a problem with the second-year player winning most improved player, or do you think Devontae Graham has just that much better to where it doesn't matter, man. Give it to the second year. I'm on the latter team. I think if somebody improves that significantly, you cannot deny them because of technicality, especially most improved player. I mean, come on. Just like that, it's clear right now through this little part of the season, we've got a lot of got a lot of time left to play. Yeah, of course, I have no problem giving it to Devontae Graham. He's, he's, when you go from nothing to star, and he's, he's playing at a star level right now. If you go from nothing to little mini star level, then I think you have to be in consideration. But Van Vliet is amazing right now. He's having to step in for uh, Lowry in, in that starting point guard role. Toronto, they've had some injuries and they're sustaining them. They obviously lost Kawhi. They're still looking like an Eastern Conference contender. A lot of that has to do with Siakam. He's amazing. Big test for Miles Bridges tonight. He hasn't had one of these matchups since probably Kawhi Leonard. Uh, and and the LA Clippers uh, so he'll have a great one-on-one matchup with Siakam I'm looking forward to that if, if that's indeed how they how they match things up uh, but this should you know listen Toronto amazing defensive team uh, so the Hornets have to protect the basketball I don't I don't how many turnovers did they have against the Knicks it was under 10 I think um, so can they can they do that again can they can they keep they had 10 they had exactly. 10 so that's a that's a really low number for this Hornets team who is 
uh, capable of giving up double that in a game easily. So they'll have to protect the basketball, and they'll have to find some way. I don't know if you can. I mean, nobody so far has been able to limit Siakam and Van Vliet at the same time. So uh, this is going to be a tough match. Let's talk about Siakam a little bit. I mean, yeah, crazy to, to see what he's done. Now, he hasn't been shooting well from deep here lately. He had one game against the Trailblazers where he shot four of seven. But going back to the Lakers game on November 10th, he shot one of eight from three point land, one of six the next game against the Clippers, then two of 10 in the most recent game against Dallas. So it's a 30% three point shooting percentage so far this month. And that's really because of those three games. He's been so bad. Other than that, though, the way the Pascal Siakam has been playing, Doug, I was worried about Toronto extending him a max offer. I, I thought that might have been a little bit of a mistake. I was wrong in that. It's my final. <laughs> this is my Jerry, final pick, better, by the way. Yeah. I locked it in. Toronto Raptors, <laughs> finals. You're saying finals Siakam, again? MVP, Toronto, finals. Are you a Raptors fan? Do you want to go with Sean Woodley and host the Locked On Raptors? It's I crazy. Just, I mean, crazy. Well, I think I just knew that they were going. They were going to find. A, you just mm. had players. So obviously, Kawhi Leonard. Kawhi Leonard was the the differentiating factor for Toronto in winning that championship last year. But all along the way, you could see other players improving, and other players and probably anticipating that Kawhi Leonard would not be playing with them next season, and understanding, hey, this is going to be my team soon. And now you have Siakam stepping up the way he is, Van Vliet taking the most advantage of his minutes. Um, <laughs> I just remember Van Vliet annihilating Malik Monk and basically uh, it was that this was during the Clifford era and basically sitting Malik Monk for the rest of the season by how terrible Monk played him on defense. So it would be interesting to see if those two go one-on-one with each other. Then we'll really see yeah. if Monk has improved his defense. Mm-hmm. Yeah, see, yeah, and just looking at Siakam's game log, by the way, like it's it's incredible. And he, there's no doubt he was great. I thought he was an awesome player. He was a fun story. I just thought, man, you know, offer for a, a max offer for Siakam. Okay, you know, we'll see how it works, but it's been working in a fantastic way for the Toronto Raptors to this point in the season. Thanks again for joining us on the Lockdown Hornets podcast. And remember, you can subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, and Spotify. Follow us on Twitter at Lockdown Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker Mail, and Doug's on Twitter at Doug Branson, L-O-H. We'll be back with you tomorrow for Toronto Raptors Recap.